Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner. Every week I say it's my pleasure to be here because it really is. I'm happy to do this. I look forward to doing it. I think that the opportunity for us to do this live, to respond to comments and questions that are typed in, and those of you who are listening on the web, you have that text box on the left side. You can use it anytime. And uh, if you're on the phone or choose to use the telephone, you just press star 2 on the telephone touchpad uh, to raise your hand. Again, you can do that at any time. And when I get to that part of the class today, um, I'll be able to acknowledge both comments and questions from the text side of things and go to the telephones and unmute people one at a time. That's very much like live radio. The problem is that, uh, or has been, that one in a hundred or one in two hundred, something like that, ever call. So if you're in a big city like Los Angeles or even a medium-sized radio market, you can do telephone talk shows because you have thousands of people listening. If you only have a hundred people, a couple hundred people listening, um, it's harder to get telephone calls. And, um, you know, even living here on the island of Maui in the Hawaiian Islands, it's interesting. There is no talk radio out here. Uh, Honolulu has it because the couple million people in Honolulu but on the outlying neighbor islands like Maui, there's not enough. <laughs> there's not enough people. You know, I think there's maybe a hundred and twenty thousand people that live on Maui. Any given day, our population is double that with the tourists. But you know, at the end of the week, another hundred thousand people go home. So the hundred or hundred and twenty thousand uh, Kamaaina, the locals, the residents. Uh, that's not really enough to do a radio talk show, so it's uh, it's a challenge here too, is what I'm saying. And so I'm encouraging you to do that. And as uh, you tell more of your friends and interest in this program, uh, as a live opportunity grows, then hopefully we can do more of that. That's my hope. Gosh, I would like nothing better than to do as we used to do in Los Angeles on the radio, an open conversation kind of a program uh, that is led by telephone calls. But uh, we're going to have to get bigger. Right now, I would say roughly for, for every person that listens to us live by web or telephone, uh, about 200 people will listen to the podcast. 200 times more people are listening to this on demand, a streaming audio or podcast, than live, which I understand. You know, that's how you fit it into your schedule, and it's nice to have that option. The whole podcast technology is beyond cool, if you ask me. Once you get it set up right, you just <clears throat> plug your uh, iPod or iPad or iPhone or other portable MP3 player into your computer at night to recharge, and the podcasts are automatically updated for you. And 
You can keep them as long as you want or set them to be auto-deleted after you've listened. It's very cool. Anyway, that's our situation, and we will go to the live comments and questions a little later. And I uh, do appreciate your participation and look forward to it, really do. Well, today we're going to talk about the golden rule, and in particular the heart of the golden rule. This comes out of me going through some notes recently that I found from, I say recently, I was going through the notes recently. The notes are 15 years old. They go back to a seminar I did in September of 1995 called The Power of Self-Respect. I did that in Los Angeles, and and, I believe I did several iterations of that program, The Power of Self-Respect. In the notes I had preparing for that, I, I had written down more as a note to myself than anything that self-esteem is the heart of the golden rule. So I thought, well, that'd be a great uh, Sunday program. That'd be a great class for the wisdom school. So that's what we're going to do today. First talk just a little about the nature of the golden rule and all of its variations and iterations. And then um, go to the heart of it and, and, and what do we mean by self-esteem. Certainly, we all know the basics. I could do a little web search here, too. We know the, the golden rule in its uh, its basic form and, and format, which is basically do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But um, there's a lot of different versions of that. Many people think it's a basically a Christian law or a principle. Others say, oh, no, that's... Um, that's Moses. That's in the Hebrew Bible or the uh, the Old Testament. And yeah, it is. Uh, in Asia, however, the actual term golden rule comes from the fact that Confucius said as much. Sometime after Moses, Moses would have been about the 13th century B.C. Then uh, Confucius was about, what, seven or 800 years after that, about 500 B.C., and then Christ 500 years after that. So here, let me pull up some versions of this. There's a little article I'm coming up with that says the early incarnations of the Golden Rule are found in 1780 B.C. in the Code of Hammurabi, and also in the Torah, which again would have been about 1300 B.C., that's when Moses is believed to have written the Pentateuch, or the five basic books of the Hebrew Bible. But there is a Hindu reference from 3200 B.C. that I, that I came up with. An early example of the Golden Rule that reflects the ancient Egyptian concept of Ma'at appears in the story of the eloquent peasant, which has been dated to about 2000 B.C. It goes like this. Uh, Now this is the command, do to the doer to cause that he do. Okay. 
a little awkward to say that way, but do to the doer to cause that he do. All right. Um, ancient Greek philosophy filled with it. In fact, the golden rule is sometimes called the cornerstone of civilization. Consider why human beings came together in the first place, why we formed beyond families a clan and kept the extended family together, and then why extended families tended to hang together in tribes or clans, and as human beings evolved, became a little more sophisticated, began to domesticate animals, to germinate seeds. We went from hunting and gathering to the agricultural era. That was a big step. And then uh, mapping the stars as well. Those are three pretty important points in the development of modern man to domesticate animals, to germinate seeds and farm rather than just gather, and to map the stars. Actually, that all began about 150,000 years ago. And uh, the early languages, limited though they were, began to emerge even before that time. Well, primarily the reason that the family became the clan, became the tribe, became cities eventually, urban areas, or uh, large, you know, it's funny about the tribe. A tribe basically is about 150 people, plus or minus. There's always been in in ancient Europe, uh, Africa, Asia, and the so-called American Indians in the New World, also so-called New World, something about that number that um, if a tribe or a grouping started to get much bigger than that, they would split off until the age of urbanization, which sort of coincided with the industrial age. But this whole idea of human beings coming together, living more closely together for the mutual benefit for the mutual benefit of all concerned, is what civilization is about. It starts out, of course, being for self-protection. If we come together, then uh, we can help each other if there's a problem, if there's a fight, if um, you know we need some sort of uh, a police force or a constable, um, some sort of authority to speak on behalf of the larger group. Uh, we can help each other with fires, putting out fires. Um, there were, even before governments were formalized, a lot of reasons for human beings to become civilized. And this golden rule, I'm telling you, found in all these different societies and all these cultures who just gone back 3,000 years here in a couple of cases, talked about Moses in the 13th century B.C. Christ often gets credit for having said the same thing. Um, That would be like, you know, we 
turn the calendar on the birth of Christ, so-called. And uh, ever since, it's, it's been this cornerstone of civilization, the, the prime law or the primary law of civilization is to treat people the way you would like to be treated, to do unto others what you would have them do unto you. I want to explore that a little bit, talk about a couple of different ways that it can be said, and then we'll talk about the heart of this golden rule, which I've already indicated is self-esteem, and deal with that a little bit before we go to your questions and comments, because it's a little paradoxical, but hopefully you'll have uh, fun, you'll enjoy yourself playing around with the whole idea of self-interest and why do I do what I do, and how can it be in my self-interest to help other people? Most of us, I'm afraid, still see helping others as a sacrifice and if I'm going to help myself, then I have no regard for the impact upon other people. And that's not true at all. There's countless situations where we talk about the greater good of all concerned, or the greatest good for the greatest number, um, or the mutual benefit, uh, or even the self-interest in being of service to other people. I've been especially curious of late watching politics, conservative and, and liberal or progressive politics play out, and conservatives who have always believed in self-interest and and the whole idea of, of, of what did Anne Rand call it, of objectivism. She even, besides Atlas Shrugged and the Fountainhead, she actually wrote a shorter book uh, called The Virtue of Selfishness. Imagine, The Virtue of Selfishness. And this concept is real popular um, to the right of center politically. Ayn Rand is still popular with a lot of people. And it's like, you got to work for it. You know, this American or sometimes called Protestant work ethic Everybody's got to pull their share, and and that's fine if the economy can provide the jobs. Obviously, um, capitalism cannot employ all the people in the United States, and we've seen 20, 30 years of jobs being exported overseas. So the fact that there's no jobs, or fewer and fewer jobs, I don't want to exaggerate, uh, something we've watched happen all along. We can't be surprised by that. But the idea of being of service to others, benefiting yourself, the idea that community interest, for example, is in your interest as well. These are not opposites. Um, well, well, take this, for example. The, uh, the so-called uh, health care debate that we've just been through this year uh, and last. Um, it really started last year, didn't it? You hear, I mean, there's many good arguments on both sides. I happen to be in favor of health care. I think it's a, a human right. And in a country as rich as ours, if we can uh, afford uh, two wars and uh, 
all of the, if we can afford to give tax breaks to oil companies that make tens of billions of dollars every year and yet pay no taxes, well, certainly we ought to be able to find a, a little bit of money in there to help the poorest people get health care, um, you know, pregnant women to get the prenatal care they need, uh, older people who are sick and have no family uh, to care for them. That's what Social Security was intended to do in Medicare and Medicaid. And yet it's argued against by conservatives who say uh, this is socialism and it it undercuts initiative and gradually erodes uh, a society. Well, the idea that there's this huge middle ground where it is in my self-interest to help somebody else is what is missing in much of the debate and frustrates me so often. I mean, let's say that we continue not to provide uh, health care for the poorest of citizens and God forbid there's a pandemic or an epidemic of flu or tuberculosis and the, and the kids start picking it up from each other in school uh, measles is rebounded in the world malaria is currently as we move into the 21st century on the rebound we thought that we had eliminated that Vaccination has become controversial now, and I'm talking mostly here about people that can't afford good health care. So that jeopardizes everybody. It's like public schools, the same thing. You hear the selfish right-wingers saying, well, I don't have any kids, or my kids are already graduated from college, and they're adults, and so why should I have to pay a millage, uh, a property tax, to support schools, public schools, when I don't have any kids in the public schools? And that's because, just like the health care example I gave, in, in, in both of these cases, and countless others, it is in the interest of the individual and the group at the same time. It's not an either-or. Now, these false dichotomies have been a pet peeve of mine during the whole 35-plus years that I've done radio and now the podcasts and, and webinars. The tendency of people to set up false dichotomies, to see things in absolutes, especially when they're frightened. That's why fear is used, because the stress and anxiety tends to promote either-or thinking or binary thinking. It tends to promote a belief in the extremes and the absolutes and the middle, the shades of gray, or if you will, the rainbows in between is missing. So the debate is, I'm in favor of health care, I'm opposed to health care, I'm in favor of serving the community, no, I'm only interested in myself, and I vote only my own pocketbook. Well, what about just the common sense of recognizing that the community interest is in your personal interest, right? To, to make sure people are well-educated, by and large, benefits you. 
to make sure people have basic fundamental health care in a community benefits you. And this, maybe it's me, but it seems this was better understood in the past than it is now. You don't, <laughs> certainly don't hear politicians talking about the golden rule, though I'm stating here at the top of the class that it's always been thought of, by many people anyway, as the cornerstone of civilization. Without understanding that beyond self-interest, you have a personal interest in the larger group or the community. It's just foolish not to recognize that. To what extent? Well, that's open to debate. But at least let's get off the, the, the extremes and the absolutes and the either-ors and begin to look at the, the middle ground here, the, the variations and combinations where it's not simply an either-or, but it's in my interest that the people around me in my community be healthy and well-educated. That ought to seem obvious, <laughs> that the golden rule is in your interest. To treat others as you would like to be treated obviously benefits other people. What is not so obvious is that it benefits you as well. And that's what I like about the golden rule, and particularly about understanding, as we'll discuss more here in a moment, that self-esteem is at the heart of the golden rule. It's like doing for others is in your self-interest. You could say, well, why were you so generous with them? You know, why did you help them so much? Uh, it's really a wonderful, charitable uh, a philanthropic attitude you have, and somebody might shrug and say, well, yeah, to some extent, but it's really in my interest to help these people because da-da-da-da-da, right? Or somebody just has that expanded consciousness, they see the bigger picture, and they understand that this either-or division doesn't really exist. You know, to love thy neighbor as thyself, um, is, again, not only a cornerstone of civilization, I think it's a cornerstone of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And yet, so much of the right wing in American politics that claims to be so Christian, it seems has little interest in actually practicing the golden rule. Very little interest. I don't want to use too broad a brush but this is clearly the tendency. Down in Louisiana, the conservative folks down south want the oil drilling to start again. You say, but, but the beaches and the marshlands and the fish and the dolphins and the whales, and uh, I thought all those fishermen got put out of work. Yeah, but... There's a lot more people that work in the oil industry down there. The oil industry owns large blocks of the South. And so these people might see it in their self-interest to end the moratorium, drill more, drill baby drill, even though they're the ones that suffer the most when there's a gusher like we had in the Gulf of Mexico this year. I love they call it a leak called it a leak 
They called it a spill. It was a gusher a mile down. <laughs> but that's the media for you. Uh, so I'm just arguing it's a Christian value as well. There's a story in the New Testament of someone, uh, I think it was a Pharisee, coming to Jesus and saying essentially, you know, the Old Testament, there were 640 laws, and then Moses got, Moses got it down to 10, the top 10, the commandments, right? And uh, could you break it down a little farther than that, a little further than that? Uh, uh, can you tell me of the 10 commandments, what's the most important? And without hesitating, Christ supposedly said, uh, well, actually, there are two. And the first is to love the Lord God with all of your mind and all of your heart and all of your soul and your strength. Forget exactly how he said it. To love God completely. But the second is much like the first. Listen to those words. Christ is quoted as having said, but the second is much like the first. And then he quotes Moses from Leviticus and the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, saying, and love thy neighbor as thyself. How can loving your neighbor in the same way you would want your neighbor to love you or to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Those are both variations. Okay. Um, how does that have anything to do with loving God? Well, you have to make the leap that the mystic has made in seeing God in all things. One of the big problems that religious people have is they believe in a God of form with a human body that lives in a place very far away. And the mystic sees God in all things and in every molecule, every uh, everything that exists, not just organic living things, but every molecule, every electron, every quark and, and subatomic particle would have the divine essence within it. How could the creator not be in its creation? And so this is the challenge to religious people who think of God as a separated form. Because uh, we live in a world of separated forms. You live in a body that is separated. And all these objects in our physical world are separated. But that's the material world. To have a sense of the divine as a spirit, you need to think of the atmosphere, air, or water, the ocean, as rather present everywhere, everywhere equally present. We talk about love as everywhere equally present, or God as everywhere equally present. Sometimes a religion will say both of those things. They'll, they'll point to a picture of the Father, God, reaching out to man on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, but then say, he's everywhere, he's everywhere. You see? There's a challenge here, and as uh, religion evolves, or as religion becomes less dogmatic, less religious, and more spiritual, uh, there's no doubt that the mystic 
vision is going to prevail, that we're talking about a divine energy, a consciousness, a love, a peace that is creative, that is everywhere equally present, and therefore in all things, everything in the one God and the one God in everything, don't you see? So that means these two commandments really are the same thing. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself because God and your neighbor and you are all part of one thing. That's what I would argue is being said by Christ in that quotation. And I think that's largely been lost. Even the word charity, there was a time when the word charity, if capitalized, capital C charity, was a reference to the fact that there's just one of us here. That every human being and every animal and every plant and every rock and every bit of interstellar gases and all that exists is an emanation of this one thing. Therefore, to treat others as you would like to be treated is a way of saying, they are you. And that's what capital C charity meant, not just giving alms to the poor or taking your old ratty clothes down to the goodwill, but to be motivated to do that because humanity, every single member of humanity, is a spiritual brother or sister to every other member of humanity. We are a single family. And uh, again, how odd, how bizarre, how, dare I say, hypocritical for some of the most religious people to be some of the most separative, divisive, and hate-filled people. So that, you know, we have a bunch of Christians that believe that this heaven that they're headed for is only for Christians and than only certain Christians. For surely no Jew would be in heaven. A Protestant figures the Catholics can't get in. The Catholics figure all the Protestants are doomed. The Muslims over here, Islam, there's, there's, well, you know, heaven is where Allah reigns and lives. And there's no room for the heathens, the infidels, the Jews, the Catholics, the Protestants, the Buddhists, or anybody in the uh, the, the heaven of Islam. And, and all around the world, the more fundamental the approach to religion, the more exclusive it tends to be, and the less likely we are to see the golden rule honored and respected for really the mystical concept that it is. Let's see if we can sort some of this out. Um, I'm going to read from uh, a Wikipedia uh, entry that I just pulled up here a few minutes ago. The Golden Rule, in its prohibitive form, was a common principle in ancient Greek philosophy. Now, the prohibitive form is 
pretty much speaks for itself. It tells you what not to do. So variations on this in Greek philosophy would be phrases like, do not do to your neighbor what you would take ill from him. Okay, Pitakos, an old Greek said that. Avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. Tales, ancient Greek. Um, let's see. Here's one of Pythagoras' students. Sextus, the Pythagorean, said, What you do not want to happen to you, do not do it yourself either. All right. Or uh, how about a couple of others here? Again, all of these are old Greeks. Isocrates, 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 not Socrates. Do not do to others what would anger you if done to you by others. Right. Here's a better known Greek, Epictetus. What thou avoidest suffering thyself, seek not to impose upon others. Um about Epicurus. It's impossible to live a pleasant life without living wisely and well and justly, agreeing neither to harm nor be harmed. And it is impossible to live wisely and well and justly without living a pleasant life. Needs a little editing. <laughs> but you get the sense of that. And then uh, Socrates uh, the Socrates, Plato's Socrates, said, one should never do wrong in return, nor mistreat any man, no matter how one has been mistreated by him. Okay. Now, the others here uh, tend to be more positive. We have something called, um, according to this article, the Declaration of a Global Ethic, Declaration Toward a Global Ethic, which was put together by the Parliament of World Religions in 1993, and it proclaimed that the Golden Rule, in both the negative and positive form, I just shared some of the negatives with you, is the common principle for many religions, the initial declaration um, of this Parliament of World Religions was signed by 143 leaders from different faith traditions and spiritual, uh, spiritual communities. And again, uh, that was back in uh, 1993. So let's share some of the positive ones here for you. The Baha'i faith, um, this is based on the teachings of the prophet Baula uh, in uh, the uh, area today known as Iran, uh, formerly Persia or Mesopotamia. Um, the Baha'i faith, they say it this way, according to Baha'u'llah, their prophet, ascribe not to any soul that which thou wouldst not have ascribed to thee, and say not that which thou doest not. All right. Also, other variations on that in the same religion, the Baha'i faith. Blessed is he who prefereth his brother before himself. And let's see. If thine eyes be turned toward justice, choose thou for thy neighbor that which thou choosest 
for thyself. If you believe in justice, want for your neighbor the same thing you would want for yourself, even if you and your neighbor are pitted against each other, right? In some sort of um, attempt to find fairness and, and justice. Now, um, Buddhism, there's a couple that uh, show up, and uh, one is attributed to, well, I guess both are attributed to the teacher Buddha himself. Um, remember, in Buddhism, it's taught that everybody is a Buddha, everybody has a Buddha inside, so I'm talking in this case about the original Gautama Siddhartha. And he said, putting one son, and remember now, this is about 500 years before Christ. So it would be about 800 years after Moses, about the same time as Confucius. But he said, putting oneself in the place of another, one should not kill or cause another to kill. Empathize, put yourself in the other guy's shoes, right? And from the Dhammapada, one who, while himself seeking happiness, oppresses with violence the other, um, the other beings who also desire happiness will not attain happiness hereafter. A reference to the afterlife. You don't often hear that in Buddhism, a reference to the afterlife. One who, while himself seeking happiness, oppresses with violence other beings who also desire happiness, will not attain happiness in the hereafter. That's Buddhism. All right, uh, let's look at the Judeo-Christian. First of all, the the Old Testament, um, do to no one what you yourself dislike, is found in the Hebrew Bible, uh, that section known as the Tobit, um, 415. Do to no one what you yourself dislike. And at the time of Hillel, also in the Hebrew Bible, we see a couple other references, and again, some of the lesser known books, not as well known as the Torah. But nevertheless, uh, here in the Talmud, well, in the Talmud, uh, that which is hateful to you, do not do uh, to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. And the rest is the explanation. Go and learn. I've heard that translated. And the rest is just a tale. <laughs> but the whole Torah is bound up in that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. The golden rule. The negative version, but nevertheless. Also uh, from the Old Testament, from a book called the Sirach, S-I-R-A-C-H, 3115, recognize that your neighbor feels as you do, and keep in mind your own dislikes. Hmm? Yeah, I like that one too. So then we go to the New Testament, and we've got references throughout from Matthew, Luke, several in Luke. Matthew and everything, or uh, there's a comma here, in everything, do to others what you would want them to do to you. Uh, this is what is written in the law and in the prophets. That's one of the better-known versions. Do to others what you want them to do to you. That's from Matthew. From Luke, 
do to others as you want them to do to you. And then uh, that's that's chapter 6. Later in chapter 10, uh, Luke 25 and 26. And one day an authority on the law, this is part of that story I was telling you before, the Pharisee, stood up uh, to put to Jesus to the test. Teacher, he said, what must I do to receive eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you understand it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul, and love him with all your strength and with all your mind. That's from Deuteronomy. And the second is much like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Ding, 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 you win the car. You get a car, you get a car. Uh, Christ goes on, do that and you will live, all right? In other words, you'll, you'll continue on to, uh, to life ever, ever after. Uh, I, again, if a standard Christian will believe that's a reference to going to heaven, uh, somebody who believes in reincarnation would see that as now, with this kind of thinking, you can be free from the cycle of karma, reincarnation, and perpetual rebirth, the hell of having to suffer a lifetime after lifetime. You can stop the incarnating and continue to grow and evolve and unfold the soul on its own plane. All right, a couple of more, and then I'm going to uh, talk a little about the heart of the Golden Rule, but... Here's the Confucius quote that I mentioned earlier, again, about the same time as Buddha, about 500 years before Christ. And Confucius said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. That's a nice version. Never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. And then um, in Hinduism, one should never do that to another which one regards as injurious to one's own self. This, in brief, is the rule of dharma. Other behavior is due to selfish desires. So, then there's a long poem here in the Bible. Well, not so long, but too long for me to read from the Bhagavad Gita. And um, then from Islam, hurt no one so that no one may hurt you. Again, next time you hear uh, some right-winger talking about uh, Islamo-fascism and suggesting that Islam is not a religion of peace and that they're all uh, uh, fundamentalists, born-again Muslims, keep this in mind, Muhammad, in his farewell sermon. In his farewell sermon, the Prophet Muhammad said, hurt no one so that no one may hurt you. Well, you say, well, somebody can hurt me even if I never hurt them. Open your mind. Get the bigger picture. These are guidelines. This is how to live your life. Um, There are scholars that uh, find the golden rule elsewhere in the Quran. Um... These are attributed to Muhammad according to, here's a scholar named Jeffrey Waddles, and his understanding is that um, 
well, here's his translation. All non-Muslims must not even think that they can get away from us. Prepare all infidels with any arms and weapons that you can find and terrorize them. Oh, that doesn't sound like the golden rule, now, does it? And uh, then, I see. Oh, I see. Then there's a comment by the Quran on that. And it says, those who would show their affection uh, to such as came to them for refuge and entertain no desire in their hearts for things given to the latter, uh, but to give them preference over themselves. Give them those others, preference over yourself. Um, none of you true believers, none of you are true believers until you wish for your brother what you wish for himself. That's from the Quran. So, so there you go. Uh, I'm sure we can do the same thing with the New Testament and the Old Testament, find statements that conflict. And uh, this article goes on. It includes Jainism, um, Judaism, didn't I already do that with the lesser books? You, know? you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your kinfolk. Love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. That's the Leviticus quote. All right. So you get the idea here. That's found in all societies, in all cultures, in all times, in one form or another. And what makes it work? The reason it makes sense is best found in an understanding that you and the other people in your life are not other than. You are not separate from except by appearance. That, In a sense, there's nobody here called them. It's just us. And you are your brother's keeper. You see, this idea of dividing the world into good guys and bad guys is a horrible, horrible mistake that we've been making from the beginning of time as well. But when we're in the altered states that are generated by fear, the so-called fight-or-flight response, for example, then we start getting paranoid and suspicious and start looking over the shoulder for somebody who is not us, who is out to get us, somebody who opposes us, somebody who is them. And so to try to protect ourselves from that, we divide the world into good guys and bad guys. And that's a horrible, horrible mistake. For it's been said countless times by many wise people, there is good and bad in every one. In every single individual, there is goodness. And there is shadow. There is ability to, the ability to sacrifice, to do great things with little regard for one's own interest, and then there is also in every individual a part of us that is so interested in survival that at times it appears that we don't care at all about our impact on other people. Both of those things are true. The idea that some people are good 
and other people are bad is an obtuse and, and, and really ignorant observation. And any time we find ourselves doing that, or other people doing that, we become foolish. You take an incident like 9-11, for example, the horror of 9-11, what happened on that day to nearly 3,000 people, innocent people, people of all religions, people from all over the world that were killed in that uh, horrible attack. And in the weeks and months and years that followed, even today, nearly 10 years later, uh, you'll hear people say, well, that was done by this group or that group. Uh, many people are quick to say, well, the Taliban did it. That was Al-Qaeda. Others point out that all but four of the hijackers were actually Saudis. It was Saudi Arabia that attacked us on 9-11. Some people believe it was uh, uh, secret intelligence, the Israeli uh, secret intelligence, or that the United States government even may have had a hand in it as a so-called false flag operation. And, and who really did it? Who would really do such a thing? And I always found those discussions strange and said at the time on my radio programs, is it not enough that you know human beings did this? I just, still, that thought, that simple thought tends to trump all the others about what religious group what ethnic group, what nationalistic group did 9-11? Does it matter? I keep asking myself, is it not enough that human beings did this? And is there any doubt that in every country, in every culture, in every society known on this planet we could find people capable of doing something like this. That's the horrible truth. That's the horrible truth. But we reject that. We, we, we deny it. And so we try to categorize, categorize life as being, well, they're on our side. They're the good guys. Right? We don't point nuclear weapons at Canada or Mexico. They're us. Well, the Canadians can come in. The Mexicans are not allowed to. But we don't point nukes at them. We're not afraid of them. We don't point nukes at Northern Europe. Hell, we don't point nukes at Africa. We got 25,000 nukes. It's not clear who they are pointed at anymore. And still we have the nukes. And if you understand nuclear war whole concept is that any nuclear weapon pointed in any direction targets the one world and that there can be no winners in a nuclear war 
It's called the mad policy, mutually assured destruction. As if war were not insane enough. And so this is the antithesis of the golden rule. I'm going to treat my neighbor as if he or she is the opposite of me. And of course, we all know I'm the good guy, so they're different. They must be the bad guys. Aha! Now we know how to find the bad guys. It's anybody that's different from me. And we'll fight with them. We'll, we'll cheat on them. We'll steal from them. We'll plunder their economy. We'll kill their people. We'll drop bombs on them. Just all because of this refusal to see the truth that there is good and bad in everyone and still you love your neighbor as thyself. And the challenge is the last little bit of the statement, as thyself. Because if you don't, and this is what I mean by self-esteem being the heart of the golden rule, if you do not have high levels of self-esteem, if you don't love yourself, I know a lot of folks don't even know what that means. If you don't respect yourself, if you don't trust yourself, if you don't think you're a good person, if you don't believe that you deserve goodness, and you're advised to treat others as you'd like to be treated, or to treat others as you expect to be treated, or that others deserve to be treated the way you deserve to be treated, well, this whole thing isn't going to work. <laughs> right? I'm treat Yeah, I'm treating my neighbor as I expect them to treat me. He's got no reason to trust me because I'm evil and ignorant and bad. So I guess he's ignorant and evil and bad. And so this whole idea of the golden rule uh, goes to hell in a handbasket just because you're self-loathing and self-deprecating because you don't like who you are because you bought into the propaganda. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was sibling rivalry. Maybe it was a bully up the block when you were a kid. Might have been a, 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 a bad school teacher that you had or that one bus driver or a stranger on the street that that one time said something to you that crushed you, that devastated your self-esteem, that caused you to believe that uh, all of your paranoid fears and fantasies are correct, that you really are inadequate, that you really are basically bad, weak, wrong, stupid, and let's throw ugly to boot. If you don't care about yourself, if you don't respect and trust yourself, if you don't have self-esteem, you don't expect to be treated, you don't, you don't believe you deserve good treatment, then you're not going to treat your neighbor very well either. And I believe that's a part of this whole concept of the golden rule that hasn't really been addressed. That's why I'm bringing it up today for your consideration. 
thank for your opinion as well as your consideration as we uh, go to your questions and comments. If you're listening on the telephone, press star 2. Star 2 in your telephone touchpad. That'll signal me that you're ready to have me unmute you and I can unmute callers one at a time. Or if you're um, on the web and you want to use the text box, you see it in the lower left-hand corner of the screen. If it's not there, just click the button you see that says Ask a Question. It'll pop up. Put your comment or your question in there along with your your name, at least your first name and your city, and then be sure and hit Submit. Okay. And uh, we'll go to that now and see what folks have to say for themselves. Let's see. I'm going to check the phones first. Yeah, very few callers today. I'm not sure why. Almost almost everybody is listen, who's listening live is um, on the web. And we have a good turnout on the web. Well, let's go to the Q&A section there. See what folks have to say. Um, all right, here we go. We have Phil Jaffe in uh, Canoga Park with a couple of notes. He says, first of all, greetings to you and Doreen. And um, well, let's see, some of this, Phil is talking to me on the side. As far as, as the golden rule, he says, as I know it, it's due unto others as they would do unto you, that it came from Jesus. Yeah, I just told, just went over that story, but he was quoting Moses in Leviticus, right? Uh, and again, between the two is Confucius, and I gave you examples of several that are much older than that. So, yeah, is it not interesting, intriguing? Is it not enough that it's, the cornerstone of all religions and all societies. That's what I think is so cool about it. But again, to go deeper and to look at self-esteem as the heart of the golden rule, to say, well, how am I, you know, I'm not going to be treating people very well if I expect, given my, my own self-loathing and my lack of self-respect, to be treated badly by them, you see. It's one of the elements that uh, rarely gets discussed along these lines. So thanks for that, Phil. Carol Postel says hello. She's in La Habra and is with us virtually every Sunday. Hello, Carol. So nice to hear from you as always. And uh, what else? Who else do we have? In Lake Forest, Gary Buchanan. Hello, Gary. He said, just wanted to let you know I was listening today and say hello. My best as always. Nice to hear from you. On the Tucson, Lorelai is with us again. Aloha, Michael. She said, she says, I've uh, made the mistake of taking up smoking again. And what techniques would you recommend to quit? And do you still offer hypnotherapy sessions? Thanks again for a great class. Peace and love smoking. Oh, Lorelei, smoking cigarettes, you know, it's such an incredibly addictive habit. 
when I was young, I, I quit smoking at one point for six years and started again. And um, it's tough. Uh, I think the most important thing I can tell you, and yeah, I still do one-on-one work for Stop Smoking, and um, there's some material you've got to read. Uh, You know, it's just, it's easier to give up heroin and, and crack than cigarettes. Cigarettes are so incredibly addictive. But it can be done. Obviously, millions of people have done it. I haven't smoked a cigarette in probably 25 years. So even though I, I was off for six years and then I had a relapse, um, you know, you just keep at it. There, I guess the the first rule is there's no failure. There are just steps. So if you quit and then start again, don't call it failure. Just say, well, that's one more step. I this time I quit for eight days, and next time I'm going to quit for good. Oh, sorry, didn't happen, but this time I went 14 days. No such thing as failure. Do it again. You're up. Do it again. Another tip, I think, is to make sure you do it for yourself and not for other people. If you stop smoking to please other people, then as soon as they upset you, you're going to go smoke again. You cannot do it for other people, much in keeping with our discussion today about self-esteem being at the heart of the golden rule. Self-esteem has to be at the heart of letting go of this habit as well. The reason people smoke goes beyond the fact that it's incredibly addictive. It is also a way, a a, a deadly and ineffective way, uh, but a way of managing stress and anxiety. And so when we give up tobacco, we have to remember to substitute a much more effective and a a healthy uh, and effective means of managing anxiety. It's not likely that we can live a stress-free life. And yet you can manage the stress. Smoking cigarettes is a horrible way to do it, It works, but only for short periods of time, Uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then the stress comes back with a vengeance. You smoke another cigarette, you feel relaxed. 20 minutes later, here comes that stress you repressed with a bunch more, and that goes on throughout the day. So, Um, I would say email me on the side, Lorelei. We can arrange for some one-on-one work. And I give you some um, material to read, and we'll uh, figure out some stress management techniques for you and and get you back on the track again. Um, Sorry to hear that. That's distressing, but don't beat yourself up over it. Again, happened to me. Happened to me. In Irvine, Robert says, Robert Fiegel says, Aloha, Michael. I find most people I meet on a daily basis understand the oneness and do care about the world as a whole, such as global warming, health care, and so on. It's in the Fox style of propaganda, the propaganda machine on TV that keeps the ignorant and the scared in the spotlight 
to create the illusion that they are the norm. This is why classics like yours or classes like yours are so important. Let's the aware majority know that they're not alone. Uh, excellent class. Have a magical week of peace. Thank you, Robert. Um, sometimes I wonder who's the majority and who's the minority, but uh, I certainly agree with the reference to Fox propaganda. Um, one of the, we were just talking about the, the dangers of being addicted to tobacco and cigarettes with Lorelei here, and now you bring up what essentially is an addiction to fear. One of the effects of fear is that it really is addictive. And so rather than look for an antidote to fear, which would be something positive and reassuring, we look for more reasons to be afraid. We look for more evidence that we ought to be afraid. We look for people to be around us who will share our fear. And um, I spent a little time on Facebook this morning watching this thing happen. The people who are positive and optimistic and solution-oriented are busy posting information that will attract other people who are positive and, and optimistic and hopeful, while the, the, the people that are angry they may think it's a political position, but a lot of it is just personal anger that they don't want to take responsibility for. So they blame the world and have these angry, hate-filled posts that appeal to guess who? Other angry, hate-filled people, you know, like, yeah, let's all get together and and hate together. <laughs> And uh, so there's a kind of a magnetic thing going on there, too. Uh, Renee by the Sea is with us, and she says, Aloha, just listening. Thank you. Judy Craft. Uh, Judy, uh, you know, I was going to call you yesterday. I apologize. I have not yet returned your call. You know that. I'll give you a ring later this afternoon. Thank you for your inquiry. She says, great class. Uh, tried to get a hold of you. I'm an old client of yours. Oh, yeah, I remember you for sure. Sit tight. And the um, thing is, I don't have any email for you. I looked for email, and I couldn't find it, but I have your phone message from a few days ago. So thanks for your interest, Judy, and we'll get back to you later today. Let's see. That's pretty much it, I guess, for the Q&A. Let me check the telephones again. Uh, yeah, it was like only one person really on the phone. That's odd. So let's do a visualization uh, guided imagery exercise here. It's already quarter after. That'll just take about 10 minutes or so, and then we'll let you go. Call it a day. And, and again, thanks uh, thanks very much for being with us today. So I, I, I'd like you to get comfortable, find a nice comfortable chair, a, a sofa you can sit on, a some sort of pillow or cushion, and, and get comfortable. I want you to sit up straight, but as I always say, not not rigid. The idea is you can sit up, but also sit back so your back is supported. 
and think of yourself, again, not as rigid, but rather as balanced and centered with your head over your neck and shoulders, your shoulders are back, you can do a few head rolls and a couple of shoulder shrugs, and begin to take a couple of slow, deep breaths, two, three, maybe four slow, deep breaths, inhaling very slowly through the nose, as slow as you can, hold as you peek, and then exhale through the nose or the mouth, just as slowly. Go beyond where you'd normally stop. And repeat that several times. Pulling in strength and power as you inhale through the nose. Hold. And as you exhale just as slowly through the nose or the mouth, feel the letting go. And then allow your breathing to find its natural rhythm, its natural cadence. Let your body breathe itself all by itself. And for just a few moments, as a kind of uh, induction, if you will, put your attention on the bottom of your nose, at the very point where the air enters and leaves your body. And simply witness the breathing, the in-breath and the out-breath, so that you allow your body to breathe itself, putting your attention on watching it happen. Notice you're not breathing, you're watching your body breathe itself. And in this way, we focus our attention. We practice paying attention. That's the phrase. Becoming single-pointedness, if you will. But we also witness from a detached, not dissociated, but one step back, detached, point of view, the cyclic nature of the body breathing itself, like waves rolling in and crashing on the shore. And then expand your awareness. You may even wish to slowly scan your body for feelings of relaxation as you experience muscles unwinding and letting go. And you create and sense a letting go feeling from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, softening like butter on a warm day. Move your awareness into your body and feel that softening Muscles relaxing and unwinding. And as a narrative, my voice will guide you. 
as you continue to feel safer and more relaxed, you'll find that the mind grows quieter and more still. In fact, I'd like you to imagine sitting beside a little lake or a pond and watching the wind waves getting smaller and smaller on the surface of that pond till you can barely see them and feel within yourself the same level of peace and tranquility that appears on the surface of the pond until it becomes as smooth as glass and you feel perfectly undisturbed in much the same way within yourself. sitting beside this little lake in a beautiful wilderness area, feeling yourself rooted to the earth. You look around at the trees, all different sizes, all the different types of trees that you see. And of course, the feeling you're making all of this up is exactly right. You just pretend that in your mind's eye you can see the trees, but we can make this very real as we continue to feel even safer and more relaxed. Can you hear the sounds of birds singing? Can you hear the sounds of insects, cicadia, and crickets? Can you feel the gentle warmth of the sun as it finds its way through the canopy of leaves overhead? And when the gentle breezes blow, perhaps it's just a little cooler. And yet you also smell the fragrances of nature. You remember how it smells, how it feels to be that far from the roads and the cities. You feel that way now. And I'd like to remind you that every tree and every bush that you see, every flower and every blade of grass began with a seed that fell to the earth. It may have been carried there by the winds or dropped by the birds. and found a home in the soil and sprouted, took root, and eventually grew. 
And I would like you to consider for the purposes of this guided meditation today that your thoughts and feelings together are seed thoughts and feelings. If you've heard it said that thoughts are things, consider that they are seeds. Seed thoughts. And your negative seed thoughts are just as sure to grow as your positive seed thoughts. But the negative seed thoughts grow briars and brambles and various forms of plants that choke out the other plants. Way bamboo can completely, like a predator, overtake a valley and choke out every other every every other plant and tree. But that the positive seed thoughts will also take root and grow. And your positive seed thoughts grow the types of plants, shrubs, grasses, and flowers that you wish to manifest for whatever reason so that you could use the woods or the fibers or the leaves or the flowers or the fruits they bear in some productive attempt to live life more fully and completely. Building shelters and nourishing yourself And so your thoughts are things, they're seeds. And your thoughts about yourself manifest and bear fruit. But also your thoughts about others. Not only your deeds, not only your speech. Not merely what you do and say, that's a big part of it. But just what you think silently is fertile and will grow and in truth on this level there is no separation between you and any other so that the thoughts that you think on behalf of yourself and the thoughts that you think good or bad about other people will root and grow and flourish regardless. Practice losing the artificial distinction between you and them. Think instead in terms of we and us. 
know what's good for one is good for the other. And you treat others as you would like to be treated, but also treat yourself with high regard, with self-trust, with self-respect, and with, self, with self-love. That will benefit you and all the people around you. In the same way that treating others with love and trust and respect will benefit you. There is no separation. Remember the word charity when capitalized, though now rather archaic, almost obsolete. It means only us, the one life, all in one, one in all. Everything in the one life, and the one life in everything. The reason to love your neighbor as yourself, to love yourself as your neighbor, and the reason that that Christ and all the other prophets have in one way or another said this is the same as loving God is worthy of your understanding that you and others and every other thing is part of the one life that religious people call God, that philosophers call the absolute, that the humanist calls life in the most positive and and affirming way. So everything is a win-win or a lose-lose. Instead of dividing the world into winners and losers, trying to be a winner at someone's expense or figuring if they won, you must have lost. Replace every or in the world with an and. Wherever there's a you or me, see it as a you and me. And know the peace and the contentment that that brings you. That's easiest to do with people you like and those who like you. The challenge is to treat the people you don't like in that way and even the people that you really, really don't like who seem to be dedicated to, to, to getting you, to, to be angry with you, to be opposed to everything that you do. Return those negatives with positives. You see? Somebody gives you a bucket full of weeds, you give them flowers. Someone gives you a problem, you give them solutions. Somebody gives you a hard time, you help them. Instead of reacting to the world, initiate your world. Be 
the cause. Not the effect. Be the actor rather than the reactor. Sow the seeds of love and kindness, compassion and contentment for the greater good of all concerned and the one life. And just to dwell upon these concepts for a few moments, leave you feeling, check it out. To just spend a few minutes quietly contemplating harmony on this level. You have to consider that much of what appears to be discord and hostility in the world is just a story you're being told. Of course, it's true to some degree, but may not be nearly as bad as you think. There may be far more love in the world, harmony and peace. And in a sense of this shared outcome, then you realize. Look for it and participate in it. Be hopeful and be of good cheer. Returning the positive with a positive, returning the negative with a positive. As if every action, every word that you speak, every thought and every feeling impacts everyone and everything. Remembering the heart of the golden rule, treating others as you'd like to be treated, is knowing that you deserve the best. It begins with self-love, self-trust, self-respect in the kindest most humble way not a separative or egotistical separative self-love but a harmonious uh, dare I say a unitive love of self that cannot be separated from the greater good of all concerned the greater good, the greatest good, for the greatest number. And then let that go. Imagine letting that go. Feel that radiating out from your body in all directions like a gentle warmth. Offer it up. Give it away freely out into the world. Feel the letting go. And reorient yourself to my voice. Remember the room where you sit. Recall what you'll see in a moment when I ask you to open your eyes. Bring with you your reflections and your insight on the lesson today that at the heart of the golden rule is self-esteem. Bring that awareness with you gently 
As you take another nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling, fill your lungs. And now exhale just as slowly. And open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, better than before, feeling fine, feeling better than before, knowing that you got to love yourself, you got to care for yourself before you can do anything for other people. You have to put yourself first. This is, uh, make no mistake about it, this is one of the biggest points of resistance and the whole personal development movement is the fear of being seen as selfish or self-centered. And the classic example I use again and again, I hesitate to mention it, I use it so much, but it's just, <laughs> it's just a really good example, is the oxygen mask on the airplane. And before takeoff on any commercial flight, the stewardess or the steward, the flight attendant, I guess they're called now, will tell you if these air masks drop in an emergency, be sure to put yours on first and adjust it before you help other people. Well, why is that not selfish? I mean, it's obviously not selfish. Here you are putting yourself first so that you can be of help to other people. Otherwise, in spite of your good intention, you're going to kill other people and not be able to help them as you end up killing yourself because you were afraid to put yourself first. We've got to put ourselves first. Love your neighbor as thyself, you come first. You've got to get your house in order. You've got to love yourself. That's got to be the primary source of love in your life, you. If you need somebody to love you, if you need someone to give your life meaning, if you need someone else to fill the emptiness inside you, It'll never work. You'll never get it. All you'll attract is somebody else who's empty who needs you to fill them up, and it doesn't work. But to come together out of your bounty, to share out of your abundance, to be self-reliant when it comes to love and respect and trust, to have self, uh, healthy self-esteem is to be able to follow on and put the golden rule into effect. Now, to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you makes perfect sense. And don't do anything to another person you would not want them to do to you because that's the way it works, the law of karma. It will come back. Every intention you have for other people, you will harvest. So make them good intentions. Right? Even, you might say, well, I don't wish evil on everybody. I just don't care about some people. Well, then expect to be in a world where when you need them, others will not care about you. How about raising the bar? Right? This is simple law. It's just the law of karma. 
That's what the golden rule is all about, the law of karma. And that's what self-esteem is all about, the law of karma. There is no of them. There is no other. There's just one thing at work. Sure appreciate you being here to share this, and uh, I hope you'll tell your friends about it. Forward the newsletter with the link at the bottom of every newsletter that you receive. You can uh, pick this podcast up at the iTunes store or any of the major podcast directories. Uh, On my website, theagelesswisdom.com, if you click on homepage, and then go inside and click on the web teleconference. The archive of all the past programs are there, along with a special little tool you can use to forward any one of the programs to anybody that you'd like via email. That's pretty handy. And finally, I want to let you know that all of this is made possible without charge by FocusedPassion.com. This is the home Focused Passion of our premium audio program, the show I do every week with my business partner, Steve Snyder. We've worked together for more than three and a half decades, and some of the best stuff we've ever done we're doing now is a weekly studio-quality premium audio program, 99 cents each, at least at this point. You can subscribe for three ninety-six a month, and... That's part of what makes all of this possible. So you'd have the good feeling, too, of knowing for a mere 99 cents a week. Like, you know, think of what Starbucks costs. It's like nothing. You're helping to support all of this. All right. For some people, 99 cents a week might be a lot of money. Well, they can listen to the mystery school here and read the text articles that are here. They can, they've got the newsletter. They can attend the Thursday night video conference uh, along with you and, and all of the other uh, cool stuff that we have. If you feel inclined to get the best of what we're doing here every week is a premium audio program. We can deliver it as a podcast. Subscribe at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, that's Focused Passion. Go there now, check it out. You can get a free account just in your your email address and your first name. That'll give you six sample programs. You can listen to those and see if it's something you want to follow up on. So again, thanks for being with us. Have a wonderful day today and the rest of the weekend. Join us next Sunday, live, if possible, by phone or web for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.